0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. On this Thanksgiving weekend, when we mainly think about family and and food and uh, football, I want us to temporarily put them on the back burner, and I want to change our focus a bit. And I want to talk about two character qualities that are probably two of your greatest weaknesses. At least they're mine. And I think they're probably weaknesses of a good part of our country. We want to talk about the qualities of contentment and gratitude. Now, Monday, as I was studying for this lesson today, I was trying to get my mind and my heart going in the same direction, and sometimes that's hard because sometimes my mind wants to speak on this topic, my heart wants to speak on this topic But anyway, I was trying to bring my my mind and my heart together. I read a quote, and this was a quote from a secular person. It was just a secular quote, but um, it still helped bring some clarity for our lesson today. Here was the quote. If discontentment is the cause of many of our unhealthy habits, and and, and I think it is, discontentment is is the cause of a lot of the unhealthy stuff that we do. you know, from from our eating habits, we get down, what do we do? We stuff our face. Or we get down, and so we think that a Black Friday shopping spree, buying spree will help. Or, or we get down, and what do we do? We resort to addictive behaviors, you know, drugs, alcohol, tobacco. And so if discontentment is the cause of many of these unhealthy habits, then contentment is the cure. But, but then this is the part of the quote that I I really wanted to emphasize. So if contentment is the cure, then gratitude is the pathway to contentment. Now, as Christians, we know that there's more to it than that. You know, we know that the foundation of contentment comes through Jesus Christ. but, But I think this person had incredible insight to be able to identify the cause of so much of our unhappiness. And if you look at our culture today, it's definitely a culture that's not content. We're restless. You know, for example, we're discontent with, with our looks. Uh, how many of you jumped out of bed and looked in the mirror and said, You look absolutely perfect today? No, um, we, we don't feel that way about ourselves. And that's why beauty products are in such high demand. And I was absolutely flabbergasted this past week as I read that globally, the human race, that's what we are, we spend $382 billion on beauty products every year. And to put that number into perspective... Do you know how much it would cost to end world hunger? And I, uh, the, the UN uh, provided these figures to be able to supply food for every one of the 800 million people that are food insecure, that are hungry, that don't have enough food. The UN says it would cost $267 billion a year, and the world spends $382 billion a year on beauty products. And, and women, not, not to pick on you, because men, I'll, I'll talk to you in a minute. You'll have your day in court as well. They say that the average American woman will spend... And, and guys, this is not a time to jab your wife, okay? The average American woman will spend $225,000 in her lifetime on her appearance. The average American woman will spend $50,000 in her lifetime just on her face alone. And I was thinking about this this past week. Oh, the shotguns that I could buy with $50,000. And men, before you uh, go and cut your wife's beauty budget, the same article said that American men are are spending only 20% less, and they're dropping about $175,000 in their lifetime on their glam habits, on or, 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 in other words, to make themselves look more glamorous That's men. And, and not to devote too much time here, but, but since I do have your attention right now, um, I wondered, where's this money going? And this article said that a big part of it was just, you know, facial makeup, which um very expensive. Uh, a big part of it was the anti-aging potions that people are buying to try to help them look eternally young. Men are trying to get hair to grow back on their heads. And, of course, you've got facelifts, you've got forehead lifts, you've got lip augmentation and other procedures that we won't mention in a public place. Now, I'm not on a campaign to, to encourage you to start looking like an unmade bed. Um, some of us need extra help, but, but I'm merely illustrating an area of discontentment in our lives. And I, I have a lot of smart-alecky comments I would like to say, but I'm just going to leave it right there. But not only are we not content with our looks, we're, we're unhappy with our jobs. Job dissatisfaction is an all-time high. I read where 85% of those that are employed are unhappy, unhappy with their jobs. Not to mention the 4 million plus people that are quitting their jobs every month. And then, of course, we're always unhappy with the government. We're always unhappy with our schools. Our, our level of discontentment is so deep right now. And, and what happens when we're discontent, you know, just as when one dog begins to bark and all the neighborhood, neighborhood dogs begin to bark, or, or when one coyote begins to howl in the woods, it seems like the woods just comes alive with, with, with howling and, and, and yipping and yapping, and, or just as when one frog begins to croak in a pond, others begin to let their croaks be heard, so it is with complainers. You get one discontented complainer, it's contagious, and it won't be long before it spreads. And I used to think that that people complained because they had a lot of problems. However, I've come to realize that they have a lot of problems because they complain. Complaining never makes situations better. Now, of course, there are times when we should let our voices be heard, that there's a time to speak up. But when you do so, you should always be willing to be part of the solution. If you speak up, it should be from a spirit where you recognize a principle is being violated. And so as you speak up, you're saying, I I don't like what's going on, but I'm willing to be part of the process to fix that problem. But but complainers typically have no intentions of helping the situation. They just want to gripe. They just want to bark. They just want to howl. They just want to croak. And complaining generally brings little change. It amplifies frustration and spreads discord. Now, as we officially bring in the Christmas season, I want to give us some very practical ways to help us break away from the trends of discontentment and ingratitude. Number one, this season I hope that we will learn to go after appreciation. In other words, we need to learn to be people that have an appreciation for life. We need to learn to be people that have an appreciation for the big things as well as the little things. Now, today you hear the word entitled. In fact, the the, the phrase entitled generation has been used to describe the millennial age group who researchers say feel they're entitled to special privileges, but I, I really think it goes beyond them. I think that most people in every age group in our country have that sense of special entitlement. For example, those who are poor feel entitled because they don't have much and so they think they deserve extra benefits just for being poor. But then those who do have wealth they feel entitled because they think they've worked harder and maybe worked smarter than others so in their minds that should push them to the front of the line because they've done well. And then those of us who are older We feel entitled because we worked hard all of our lives. And so we ought to be able to have a few extra privileges. And and then those who are young feel entitled because they're just starting out in life and they feel they need an extra boost. And so we say what our kids say all of the time. This is so not fair. A, a, A sense of entitlement is destroying our contentment. And I don't know for sure how we became that type of culture, but perhaps it began with, began with us as uh, parents and grandparents, at the risk of sounding like an old man, of which I will be in 30 years or so. Um, and, and young people I know, j- just humor me, okay? Uh, you get tired of hearing this all the time, but those of us that are above the age of 50, 55 or so, we remember, we remember our parents saying, okay, son, if you get in trouble at school, you will get in trouble at home. Anybody ever hear that? This is kind of a foreign concept for this younger contemporary group here. And, of course, at that time, schools had it. Principal Kelly, uh, schools had the green light to paddle. And, unfortunately, I do have on my resume a paddling that I received at school. I know some of you can't believe that, but it did happen. I'm sure it wasn't my fault, but anyway, it did happen. But I remember my parents saying, Joe, if, if you get a paddling at school... You've got another one coming to you at home. Now, of course, teachers back then, as, as they do now, on occasion made mistakes, and at times kids were treated unfairly. But, but trying to reinforce and support our teachers helped establish the matter of authority. Because if, if we don't learn authority early in life, we won't respect authority later on in life, which means we probably won't respect the authority of God, our Father. But now, you know what happens... Um, principal barger. (laughs) Our kid gets in in, in trouble at school and all hell breaks loose. And uh, we storm the school and demand a conference with the teacher and the administration. We threaten them with lawsuits. Or if our kid or our grandkids get in trouble with the law, what do we do? We say, my child would never ever do that, even though they had the footage on camera. And so we bail them out. We hire an attorney to get the charges dropped or reduced. In fact, I've even heard of a case where the child had committed a crime against some people and and the parents were good parents and they were allowing the justice system to work to help instill in this child the lesson of consequences. You know, you break the law, uh, you suffer the consequences. Uh, They weren't being mean. They loved their child. But then some other people came along, hired an attorney against the will of the parents bail them out, thus destroying this teaching moment for the child, and that child today is still a mess and has failed to learn the lesson of consequences. You know, all of that to say that we've all, including our government, we've contributed to building into our society a sense of entitlement, you know, we think as Americans we're entitled to getting a check, even if we don't want to work. We're entitled to being bailed out of jail or, or having the charges reduced. And, and, and so doing, we have lost our sense of appreciation for what we do have. Look at these words from First Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Of course, the great gain is where we get the title for this lesson. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, isn't that frustrating? We work hard, we accumulate all of this stuff, and we can't take a thing with us. That is so frustrating. Or 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 is it? Maybe it's liberating. Because then it releases us to be content with what we have, because when we take our last breath, what we have will stay here. You know, the kids will fight over it, the attorneys will get half of it. Um so, so knowing that we can't take it with us ought to be a liberating concept. There was a person in this church, this was several years ago. He has since passed, but he had been married for a lot of years and he had accumulated some stuff. He wasn't wealthy, wealthy, but he had uh he had some property and had good good bank account and um, fell on hard times in his marriage and uh, ended up getting a divorce. and uh, He lost everything. He lost the property, lost the money. In fact, uh, he, he was left with basically nothing. And, and he was telling me about it and he, and he said, Joe, initially this was such a huge blow to me. I had gone from having whatever I wanted to now just basically living paycheck to paycheck. And he said it was a huge blow, but, but after a little while he said, I've come to realize this is so liberating. He said, now I don't have to worry about what to do with my money and my properties and all of that. He, he said, um, I have enough now. Uh, not too much. I have enough. And that has lessened my worries tremendously he said it's so liberating verse eight goes on and says but if we have food and clothing we'll be content with that so according to paul who was writing this book to timothy and and us he said here are the basics food and clothing if you have that you need to be content anything else above food and clothing that's just a bonus There was an economist who did a verbal walkthrough of what it would take to transform the average American home into the typical dwelling of the majority of the world's inhabitants. You know that you do have it good, don't you? You you know that. But anyway, he said that um, to, to take the American home and kind of make it what a lot of other people in other countries have to deal with, he said we would have to begin by invading the house, strip it of its furniture, everything goes, beds, chairs, tables, lamps, all that can be left for the family is a few old blankets, a kitchen table and a wooden chair. When it comes to clothing, each member of the family may keep two outfits. The head of the family gets a pair of shoes, but not the wife or the kids. Then comes the kitchen. All the appliances would have to come out, the cabinets would have to be emptied, all that can stay is a box of matches, a small bag of flour, some sugar and salt, a few moldy potatoes already in the garbage can have to be taken out for they will provide much of that night's meal. We can add a handful of onions, a dish of dried beans, but that's all. Everything else goes, meat, fresh vegetables, canned goods, crackers, candy, all gone. But not only did this economist say we have to strip the house this way, but we also have to dismantle the bathroom, shut off the running water, and take away the electricity. Next, we take away the house itself. The family must move into the tool shed. The government services are removed. Again, this is reality for a big part of the world. No more mail delivery. No more fire department. There's a school, but it's three miles away. It consists of only two classrooms. There can't be any hospitals or doctors nearby. The nearest clinic will be ten miles away and tended by no more than a midwife. It can be reached by bicycle, provided that the family has a bicycle, which is unlikely. And Of course, we're, we're associated in, in our missions department with different countries, and I'm thinking of the country of Myanmar. It used to be the, the former country of Burma. And uh, there, at times, they request, make these requests. They just need a bicycle so they can go and evangelize. Just a bicycle. This economist says, finally, we come to the money. The, the, The family can only be allowed a cash hoard of $5. That's only allowed to prevent the main breadwinner of the family from experiencing the tragedy that came upon one poor laborer who went blind Because he could not raise the $3.94 that he needed to receive admission to a hospital where he could have been cured. That's reality in a lot of countries. Hearing that ought to help us develop an appreciation for what we have. So learn to appreciate what you have. Learn to express that appreciation to those in your life who make your life better. And especially express appreciation to God, our Heavenly Father, that loves to give his children good gifts. So, go after appreciation. Go after appreciation. Number two, go after simplicity. Henry David Thoreau wrote, uh, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three, not a hundred or a thousand. Instead of a million, count half a dozen. Keep your accounts on a thumbnail. Simplify, simplify. Simplify. And and since I've been studying, that's what's on my mind these days. You know, just simplify it. It's been impressed upon me that uh, you know my life has gotten too complex. But simplicity is the answer for people tired and weary. Simplicity is marked by a contented lifestyle that rests in God's grace. It's it's the 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 commitment to clear out, scale down. Realize the essentials of what we truly need to live well. The intimate search for wholeness is not found in things, but rather by entering into God's presence every single day. Here's some practical ways to go after simplicity, and some of these points were taken from Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, but I also inserted some myself at, first way, purchase for usefulness, not status. Status. Do you realize you will never be able to stay up to date with styles? You can try. There's nothing wrong with keeping up with styles as long as they're modest, affordable, and don't bring undue attention to yourself. But the moment you buy something, do you realize that according to stylists, it's probably outdated or soon will be? Now, I'm not going to suggest, I'm not one that says you've always got to go to garage sales or thrift stores for clothes, even though you can find some good deals there. And by the way, if you think you're too good to wear hand-me-downs, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of pride in you. And, And ladies, I'm not saying that you have to wear your grandmother's polyester dress. Again, it's okay to dress in style as long as it's affordable and modest. But before you go spend money on whatever you're about to buy, ask yourself some questions. Um... Why don't you ask yourself this question, am I buying these clothes just for their logo and status so I can be in, or am I buying them because they are well-made and durable? How about this question, are these clothes modest or do they bring undue attention to my body? Another question, am I buying this, you know, whatever it is, clothes, toys, gadgets, because it's a legitimate need, or because buying something gives me a temporary buzz and makes me feel better about life? And and there is that. There is something about buying something that makes you feel better temporarily. So, purchase for usefulness, not status. Secondly, evaluate your spending priorities. Do you really need everything you think you have to have? We've all heard preachers try to put people on a guilt trip, and make statements, well, <clears throat> what if God, had God told you to sell your dream home, pack up and your family, and move to Papua New Guinea into a one-room hut? Would you do it? Well, That's a good question, but let's get more realistic. What if God simply placed a burden on you to give $25 a month to a particular ministry, but at your current income and spending levels, you couldn't afford it? So what would you give up so you could give that money to that ministry? Would you be willing to keep your same car a little longer? Would you be willing to give up that Coke a day? Do you realize that some people spend $1,000 a year just on a Coke a day? I would say give up your coffee, but that would affect me, so let's just leave it on, uh, on the Coke there that doesn't affect me. Can you afford what you buy? You know, studies show that Americans are maxed out as far as their debt load, credit cards. Can you afford what you buy? And if you can afford it, is it good stewardship? Just because you can afford it, just because it's a good deal, just because it's on sale, doesn't necessarily mean that you should buy it. Thirdly, monitor anything that leads to addictive behavior, which means we may need to monitor what we're taking in, whether it's the internet or social media, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, even those things that we collect. You know, sometimes our hobbies, whether they're guns or dishes or knives or antiques, whatever, they can become addictive. So if you notice some addictions developing, follow the Bible's advice in Colossians through. Three, two, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And then uh, de-accumulate. Rather than accumulate, which is our goal, we want to accumulate more and more. Deaccumulate. Have a garage sale. Even in the wintertime. Or... Just give stuff away to those who are needy. And, and don't give away broken appliances and toys and, again, that old blue polyester dress of your grandmother's hanging up in your attic, or that faded and tattered t-shirt that you got 20 years ago. Don't give away junk. Being a missionary, I think every missionary has, has horror stories that we could tell, but I, I remember some of the things that we've gotten from people here in the states. Just some things that I guess they were trying to bless us with. But you know, we got empty medicine bottles. Um, that was so sweet of them to do that. And 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 then the thing that just kind of really, really took took the prize there: uh, used tea bags. I don't know why anybody, I'm sure there was a reason, I'm sure they were trying to be really sweet about it, and, you know, they just thought the missionaries would be happy with anything. Um, You know, if you're going to give things away, give things that still have value. Um, You know, give them to people who struggle Financially, give them to newlyweds that are just starting out and they don't have a lot to draw from. Give to organizations that will pass them on to others. Deaccumulate. And then, if you really want to be content after you've gone after appreciation, after you've gone after simplicity, then go after God. The writer of most of the New Testament was named Paul was a man named Paul. At one point, period in his life, he was under arrest on some trumped-up charges in the city of Rome. He, he sat under house arrest, chained to a Roman centurion 24-7. He could do nothing but think and write. In spite of that, look at Paul's attitude in Philippians 4 He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I, I know what it is to be in need. and you know, I know what it is to struggle, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've had good days. Seasons in my life where I had plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. And, and then notice this verse that many of us have quoted out of context. In this context of having plenty or little. Paul had learned the secret of contentment. And he said this, verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This doesn't mean, well, I can go out and play ball and excel. Through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. No, you can be all right whether you have a lot of money or a little bit of money. A lot of food or a little bit of food. Paul was saying, I can do it. If I've got a lot, if I've got little, I can do it. Through him who gives me the strength to do it. We need to learn that God did give us all things for our enjoyment. But the things of this world were not given for our fulfillment. Only God can fill that vacuum in our hearts and bring real and lasting contentment if you're going to go after something. Go after God. Back some time ago, I heard a statement that I had to think about before I really understood it. Here's the statement. Want what you have, even if you don't have everything you want. Today, I want to slightly adapt that statement. Here's Trussell's version the key to contentment is not having everything you want, but wanting everything you already have. I think sometimes we're like our kids. Uh, many of the toys they ask for for Christmas will, Christmas will be untouched within a week. And so we, we accumulate more and more. We, we find our lives, we find our houses cluttered with things we don't need and don't even want. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You know, God has so ordered the world and, and your personal circumstances so that no matter what situation you're in right now, you have everything you truly need to be content. Again, we read early on, if you have food and clothing, you ought to be able to be content with those. Now, remember I gave a... A statement early on if discontentment is the reason for so many unhealthy behaviors then contentment is the cure and if contentment is the cure then gratitude is the pathway to it well in luke chapter 17 there's a story of 10 lepers who were healed by jesus many of you if you were raised in church you remember this account but the thing that was interesting about this story is that only one of those 10 men who were healed came back to jesus to say thanks what about the other nine why, why didn't these nine come back? And we don't know all the answers. Uh, the, the reasons, maybe some were still skeptical and they were wanting to see if the cure was real and lasting. And maybe another one said, you know what, I'll, I'll bump into Jesus eventually and I'll just tell him thanks then. And maybe another one said, well, I kind of thought I was getting better anyway, so it was just coincidence that my leprosy went away. We, we don't know. But what we do know is that when that one out of ten made his way back to Jesus and said, Thank you, Master. That simple act of gratitude touched the heart of our Lord. And he responded in a really interesting fashion. He said this, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, wait a minute. I thought he had been healed earlier. Earlier. Well, I believe Jesus was saying this. You've already been healed of your leprosy. I did that earlier to the 10. But now with this act of worship and gratitude, you're now healed spiritually. You are now healed of your sin problem. And hold on to that just for a moment while we uh, compare this story with another picture from the book of Romans where there was no gratitude in Romans chapter 121. Try, try to listen to this really kind of frightful scripture, because that when they knew God, catch that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So, catch the progression in the scripture. It starts out by talking those about those who knew God at one time. These were not pagans; they knew God is what it says. But then it goes on and says they did not glorify God and were not thankful. And that led them to become vain and proud because they thought they were good enough and smart enough to handle life on their own. They became proud, which then led led them down a road of darkness. So I want us to understand that when we don't have a spirit of gratitude, it takes us down a real slippery slope into darkness let me uh, wrap things up with this story Um, a young man was feeling proud of himself as a brand new college graduate he had taken and passed his exams was now a full-fledged certified public accountant interesting life His, his dad had been an immigrant to the U.S. and now owned his small business uh, this young man is, you know, sometimes as recent grads, were a little bit cocky. He was a little bit full of himself, and and the young man began to criticize his father's ways of keeping the books. And, and let me just stop here and, and say something that really brings regret to me, and I pray that you'll listen to me. I, I think it's easy for us. Easy for us as children to become critical of our parents. I, I look back so ashamed of myself. Earlier in our marriage, I, I caught myself becoming a bit critical of my parents. Um, as God began to give faith and I just a little bit of success in ministry, I, find my, I found myself being a bit critical for the way that my parents did ministry. They'd been faithful for many years as missionaries, 20 years, missionaries and pastorate. But, but I found myself just being a little bit critical. Um, it also became easy to criticize them for the way they had parented us. You know, sometimes as we have our own families, we begin to think that, well, we found a better way, you know. A more effective way to parent and discipline and all of that. You know, dad and mom, they just really didn't have a clue. And and, and I'm so embarrassed because now I realize that mom and dad were light years ahead of me, and they still are. Mom and dad never had the financial means to leave us an inheritance of a million dollars or half a million dollars or $100,000 or even $50,000. They didn't have that. They were in ministry almost all of their adult lives, and they had enough. Not great wealth. I remember growing up that we, we went out to eat one time a year and that was such a big time just, they just didn't have it so they didn't leave us great wealth but mom and dad left us with so much more than that and I don't ever want to make the mistake that I made some years ago and become critical of my godly parents who yes had their flaws but they left a priceless legacy to their family but anyway, the new CPA became critical of his dad and said, Dad, you don't even know how much profit you've made. And over here in this drawer are the accounts receivable. And, and over here in this drawer are your receipts. And you keep your money in the cash register. You don't have any idea how much money you've made. And the fa- father answered and said, Son, when I came to this country, the only thing I owned was a pair of pants. Now, your brother's a doctor. Your sister's an art teacher. You're a CPA. Your mother and I own our own home. We have a car. We own this little business. Nobody helped us with a dime. We received no inheritance from our parents. And the dad said, Son, now add all of that up and subtract the pants. All the rest is profit. And really, during this holiday season, we probably need to do some accounting. You know, we came into this world with nothing except for the eternal soul that God gave us. So everything else that we have is profit. And so maybe this season, God will help us to realize how incredibly blessed we are. And, and maybe, just maybe this season, for a change we will be content and full of gratitude. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so incredibly favored and blessed. Lord, we don't deserve, we don't deserve the physical blessings you give us. Lord, the financial blessings, the blessings of transportation, the blessings of warm homes in the winter, cool homes in the summer. Lord, we don't deserve those blessings. We don't deserve the spiritual blessings. Whenever we look back at our past, the horrible sinners that we are, and then you've just kind of wiped the slate clean with forgiveness and Lord, you, you've given us a new start. And so, God, I pray that during this season, during this month in which, Lord, we're all about, you know, trying to get stuff and buy stuff and go to parties and gatherings and get togethers and get everything decorated. Father, I pray that we would just maybe call a time out and, God, that we would just be content. Lord, that we wouldn't be so involved in striving. And God, I know that You've given us, Lord, You've given some the ability to make money, and Lord, I believe that at the judgment, we will have to respond that we made as much money as was reasonable. God, we don't want to be lazy. Lord, we don't want to just sit around, but Father, on the other hand, I pray that we would not find our fulfillment in these things. God, let us... For a change just not be so full of dissatisfaction. Lord, that we would be satisfied with who we are in Christ. Lord, that we would be content with what you've given us, the material blessings. And Lord, as we go to work and try to make more, Lord, uh, that you would take away the pressure. And God, we would view that as just a blessing. And so, God, I ask that this season, there would be something amazing that would take place, that God, our gratitude would be the pathway to contentment, and as we go through the month of December, as typically it's a blur, that God, we would just be content here in the middle of a pandemic, when God, I got calls and I got texts this week of some of our own saying, I tested positive and pray for me, but Lord, in these times when our lives are so different, and we don't even know what family gatherings are going to be like this, this Christmas season. But Lord, let us be content. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us just kind of to this point of practicality where we can look to you. Thank you for who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen.